Well, take God's Word and find the book of Exodus, please. Genesis, Exodus is the second book in the Bible. And find chapter 33. And uh, when you find it, uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you know Joyce Rogers, my wife, uh, personally? Now, don't answer the question, but think about it. You may say, well, Pastor, I know her. I've heard you talk about her. I have seen her. I've heard her sing. I have watched her from time to time in programs. But I wouldn't necessarily say I know her personally. Uh, certainly, I don't know her intimately. Well, I want to tell you, I know her personally, and I know her intimately, because there's a difference in knowing about somebody and knowing somebody. There are people who hear me talk about God, and they know about God. But I wonder how many people in this building could say, I know God. Not just I have facts about God, I know God. I know Him personally. I know him intimately. I think it will be sad to meet in the resurrection someone face to face that we have not already known heart to heart. Now, what I want to do is to help you to know not only about God, and you need to know about God, but to know God. Look, if you will, Exodus chapter 33, let's begin reading in verse 13. Here's a prayer of Moses. He says, Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, now listen to this, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, God said to Moses, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Now, it's one thing to know about God and to know his ways, it's quite another thing, and that to know his works. Look in verse 13. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way. Would you under, underscore that phrase? Show me now thy way. The way to know God intimately is to know the ways of God. I can tell you I know the ways of Joyce Louise Gentry Rogers. I know her ways, and she knows my ways because we have been living together this long. Moses said to God, God, I want to know you, so show me your ways. Now, with that in mind, would you turn to Psalm 103 and look in verse 7. Psalm 103 and verse 7. In Psalm 103, verse 7, here is what God says about Moses' prayer. We can find out whether or not that prayer was answered. He says in verse 7, He made known, that is speaking of Jehovah, He made known His ways unto Moses, His acts, A-C-T-S, unto the children of Israel. Do you see that? Now, what did Moses pray? He said, God, I want to know you. Show me your way. That was his prayer. And the Bible says here in Psalm 103, verse 7, He made known His ways unto Moses, and His acts, that is, His works, unto the children of Israel. That is, Moses knew God in a way that the other people did not know God that way. 
Uh, Moses knew the ways of God. Israel knew the works of God. Now, the study of theology shows you the works of God. But communion helps you to know the ways of God, to know God intimately and to know God personally. Does God have favorites? I don't believe that God has favorites, but I do believe that God has uh, uh, intimates. Now, you will never know, in my estimation, stability and victory without knowing the Lord Jesus and uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit intimately. And God wants you to know him Intimately, As a matter of fact, uh, salvation is spoken of as the most intimate uh, relationship that uh, beings can have together. Now, if you only know God's works, but you don't know God's ways, that's the difference between uh, infatuation and, uh, and true love. Uh, so many people don't know intimacy. All they know is infatuation. Now, when I uh, first started paying attention to Joyce... That was many, many uh, years ago. We were grade school uh, children, and uh, my desk sat right here. Her desk was one row over and about four desks up. So rather than paying attention to the teacher, I was sitting there paying attention to Joyce the whole time. I looked at Joyce. I thought she was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. I still do. And she, uh, there were just ways about her, and I would sit there and, and fix my eyes upon her. And I had a real case of puppy love, uh, just sitting there looking at this, this creature. But I didn't know her intimately. All I knew was that I liked what I saw. I liked the way she acted. I was taken away with her smile. I, uh, I was impressed with the fact that she always had her homework done and I never had mine done. And uh, I was infatuated with this girl. There's nothing wrong with infatuation. And many times it leads to genuine romance. But the problem with so many people is they don't know God intimately. All they see are the works of God. They don't know the ways of God. And so their relationship with God is really just infatuation. It is not real, genuine, spiritual love. And that's what happens so many times in marriage. A man falls in love with a dimple and marries the whole girl. He just simply infatuated. And then later on he wakes up and finds out that he's married to somebody that he really doesn't understand, really doesn't know, and really doesn't want to live with. Have you ever seen people who seem to get uh, divorced for trivial reasons? Do you know why they get divorced for trivial reasons? They got married for trivial reasons. And, and because they got married for trivial reasons, uh, they, they separate the same way. Now, it's not enough to know God's works, God's style, God's acts, A-C-T-S. You need to know God intimately. Now, let me tell you three things that knowing God intimately will do for you. First of all, it will give you serenity. Go back again and look at this verse. And he says in verse 14, And my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And the rest he's talking about now is not sitting on a rock and getting your strength back. The rest he's talking about is serenity. Now, you see, Israel saw God's works But they did not know God's ways, and therefore the people of Israel never had this serenity. They never had uh, that rest. Uh, 
when God had brought the Jews through the Red Sea, and God opened up that superhighway through the Red Sea, and the Jews went through the Red Sea, uh, walking on dry ground, the Bible says dry shot, that means their feet didn't even get wet going through the Red Sea. They weren't wading through, they went through on dry ground. Uh, well, well, good night, they saw the works of God. It's an amazing thing. I've seen the Cecil B. DeMille's depiction of this, and probably the depiction is weaker than the reality. Walls of water on either side. Well, who wouldn't want to follow a God like that? I mean, a God that could open up the Red Sea. And so uh, they saw the works of God, and they said, count me in. But they did not know the ways of God, and therefore they had no real serenity. Now take your Bibles this time and turn to Hebrews 3 for a moment. Just keep your bookmark there in uh, Exodus chapter 33, and turn to the book of Hebrews. It's important that you turn to this, because you're going to find out the difference between uh, the acts of God and the ways of God. If all you see is God's works, uh, you're never going to have real rest. Hebrews chapter 3, and let's look beginning in verse 7. God is speaking to uh, people in New Testament times, and he's referring back to the Old Testament. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice... Harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. God is saying, if you listen to God today, you won't act like those people acted so long ago who hardened their heart against God back in the wilderness when the Jews were in the wilderness. Notice again in verse 9, when your fathers tempted me, that is, tested me, proved me, now underscore this, and saw my works forty years. Forty years they saw what God did in the wilderness. Forty years they were in the wilderness. And all they could see were the works of God. Remember, God made known his ways unto Moses, his acts, his works unto the children of Israel. So for forty years, they are seeing what we would call today the acts of God. And uh, they did this for forty years. But notice in verse 10, Wherefore I was grieved with that generation. They didn't please God. And he said, They do always err in their heart. And they have not known my ways. Do you see that? They saw God's works. But they kept on making mistakes over and over and over again. They have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. You will never have serenity. You will never have rest if all you see are the ways of the works of God. If you see the acts of God, but you do not know God intimately, you only will be infatuated with God. You will never, ever have rest. Why is that? Well, friend, if all you see is God's works, you're going to be hopelessly confused. Sometimes the works of God will please you, and sometimes uh, the works of God will confuse you. And if you're just seeing what God does, uh, you're going to be confused most of the time. Now, when the works of God pleased Israel, they praised him. When the works of God did not please Israel, they murmured and they complained about God. The difference between knowing God's ways and knowing God's works is the difference between peace and panic. Now, when the Jews came to the Red Sea, and before God opened up the Red Sea, uh, Israel was in a panic. Moses was the only one there who had peace, because Moses knew God's ways 
The rest of them, they just simply were, had their eyes on the works of God. And at that time, it looked like God had failed them. It looked like that God had led them into a cul-de-sac and God had led them into a trap and they were about to perish. Now, are you going to, are you going to get your theology from what God does? If you do, you're never really going to have rest. You read in the New Testament where both Peter and James were put in prison by Herod. Both of them godly men, both of them loved the Lord, both of them followers, disciples, apostles. James is put in prison, and he is beheaded, and God has allowed it. Peter is put in prison, and Peter has an angel escort out of prison. An angel comes in, and, and there's a jailbreak led by this angel, and Peter gets out of prison. Two men put in jail by the same person. One dies a martyr's death, the other is released. God is superintending both. Now, what are you going to learn about the nature of God if you see just the acts of God, just the works of God? It would be confusing. If, if you saw God let Peter out of prison, you'd say, well, that's the God I want to follow. But if you saw James get his head cut off, you'd say, what kind of God is this who would allow one of his servants to be beheaded? Surely God could deliver his servants. Uh, it, it's, it's an amazing thing. Uh, Peter and Stephen, both of them were, after Pentecost, they were both filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. And 3,000 people got saved. You said, man, I want to be spirit-filled. I'd like to be a preacher like Peter. I'd like to preach in one service, see 3,000 souls saved. I'd like to do that someday, Brother Bob. 3,000 souls saved. Here I'm Simon Peter. I'm, and, and look what God has done. All oh, the wonderful works of God. Well, if you continue to read in the book of Acts a few chapters later, there's a man named Stephen, the first deacon, one of the first deacons. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He preached. <laughs> they stoned him to death. He didn't get 3,000 souls. He got 3,000 stones. He loved God. What, what I'm trying to say is this, folks. If all you see is what God does, and you don't know God intimately, you don't know God personally, you're never going to have serenity. You are never going to have rest. Now, look again at our scripture. Go back to Exodus chapter 33. Look at it. Verse 14, and he says, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. I will give thee rest. If, however, you simply know the works of God and you do not know the ways of God, you will never have the serenity, the peace that a Christian ought to have. Second thing, not only will knowing God uh, intimately give you serenity, it will give you stability. It will give you stability. There are a lot of people who've only seen God's works. They know about God, but they don't know God, and they are very unstable people. Now, if all I have with Joyce is infatuation, then there's going to be a very unstable relationship in our marriage. And if all she is is infatuated with me, we're not going to have that real stability. We're going to have a certain amount of fickleness. Let's go back to the time when God opened up the Red Sea to let the Jews go through dry ground. When, when God did that, 
Folks, listen. When God opened up the Red Sea, and there was old Pharaoh behind them, the sea before them, mountains on every side, they're closed in, and then God at the last moment, he opens up the Red Sea, and they go through... And then when they turn around and look and all the waters are piling in upon those Egyptians had been so cruel and had threatened them. They're over there on the other side and they began to sing. I believe the first recorded song in all of Scripture. And it was a song of victory. They sang the song, the Bible says, of Moses and the Lamb. Moses and the Lamb. I'm telling you that Moses was the man of the year. Oh, Moses, you talk about living, following somebody by poles. His pole numbers were very high. They were singing his song. Three days later, just three days later, just three days. Three days, folks. They're out there in the wilderness, and they can't find any water. And they began to complain at Moses. Hey, Moses, weren't there any graves over there in Egypt? I mean, are we going to die? Why did you lead us out here in this fiasco? Moses, can't you read a map? What is all of this? Poll numbers went all the way down. In three days, Moses had gone from hero to zero. In three days. Why? Well, they were infatuated. I mean, three days into the honeymoon, they wanted to go home to Mama. Because it wasn't exactly what they thought it ought to be. That's infatuation. All they saw when they were shouting and leaping and dancing were the works of God. Look, we've got a God who can open up the Red Sea. And when they got out there in the wilderness, and God was going to prove them, the Bible says God was going to test them. God knew exactly what he was going to do. Many times God will give the, the test first and the lesson afterward. And, and God was just testing them, and they failed the test miserably. Because, you see, they were not stable. A person who doesn't know God intimately is not going to have serenity, and he's not going to have stability. I've seen it happen in churches. You take a church sometime when God is blessing the church, and it seems like they have a week like we had and celebrate Jesus. Souls are saved, crowds are here, offerings are there. Or just take a normal church. Buildings and budgets and baptisms and fellowship and everything growing. Oh, I say, isn't this wonderful? People want to join a church when the bloom is on it. But then you let problems come. Let persecution come. Let them have difficulty with City Hall and not be able to build the building. Or let the contractor do an overrun in the price. Or let this thing happen. Or let there be some, some problem. And the people leave. And they say, maybe we need a new pastor. Something is wrong here. They don't stay. They don't stick. Why? Because they don't know the ways of God. All they do is just say, well, when the sun is shining and everything is going fine and God is opening up Red Seas, just count me in. We get them out in the wilderness. God wants to put them through a little test. Uh, they have a little difficulty. Adversity comes. Problems come. They have no serenity and therefore they have no stability. It happened here. And it happens to so many people. The people who stay by the stuff are the people who know God intimately. People who know God intimately. I've seen these people blow hold, uh, blow cold, blow hot, blow cold. Uh, the problem with them is uh, that all they know are the works of God. I give you two examples of that in the Bible. In John chapter 2, 
Uh, John tells about, you remember, Jesus had turned water into wine. This was his first miracle that manifested his glory. And the Bible says that uh, because of the miracles that Jesus did, the Bible says in John chapter 2, many believed on him, on Jesus, when they saw the miracles that he did. But it goes on to say he did not believe in them. <laughs> I, well, the, the, the King James says he did not commit himself unto them. But it's the same word that is used for belief in that passage. It's just translated different ways, but it's exactly the same word. What it literally says, they believed in him, but he didn't believe in them. And then it explains, John explains why that is. And it says, for he knew man, Jesus, he knew human nature. And needed not that any should testify what was in man. You see, Jesus knew that these were miracle mongers. Jesus knew that he could get a crowd. Jesus knew that he could get followers by performing miracles. Who wouldn't follow a miracle worker? So, uh, uh, Jesus, they saw, they saw me change water into wine. So they say, count me in. I want to be a part. They are infatuated. They didn't know Jesus intimately. They knew about him. They saw his works. They didn't know his ways. They said, we believe in you. He said, yeah, but I don't believe in you. <laughs> and then just followed on through. Come up to John chapter 5 and 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And the multitudes are following him. They say, look, he's a human cafeteria. This is, this is wonderful, wonderful. And the Bible says many followed him. When they saw the works that he did, and Jesus turned to them and talked about knowing him intimately. And Jesus talked to them about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And the Bible says they begin to go away. It's going away, going away, going away. The crowds are getting very small. You know, the size of crowd doesn't always mean whether the preacher's right or wrong. Did you know that? <laughs> uh, Jesus sometimes preached crowds away. And so the crowds began to go away. And Jesus turned to the twelve and he asked them a question. Now, I want to ask you. He said, will you also go away? Are you going to go away too? And thank God for old Peter. He sometimes, many times put his foot in his mouth, but he got it right this time. He said, Lord... Where would we go? You alone had the words of life. Now, see, he had gone beyond infatuation. He had come to understand something about his Savior, not just simply seeing that Jesus could feed 5,000, not merely seeing that Jesus could turn water into wine, but here was something in Peter's heart who says, Oh, Lord, I want to know you, not what you can do. I, it's, it's not your works. Lord, it's your ways. It is who you are. I want to know you intimately. Intimately. Now, the difference between panic and peace is knowing the ways of God. When you know the ways of God, it gives you stability. If you know the works of God, you're going to be constantly confused if that's all you see. Because God's works are not going to make sense to you many times. His ways and His works are as high above this earth as, as, the, as the heavens are. And then, not only is He going to give you that, uh, that 
serenity. It's going to give you stability. When things come that you don't understand, when things seem to go upside down, uh, you are going to stay to him and cling to him. Now, here's the third thing that knowing God intimately will give to you. Uh, Knowing God intimately will give you, first of all, uh, serenity. Secondly, stability. And thirdly, and this is so important, sufficiency. Sufficiency. Uh, You will never, ever have the deepest need of your heart and your life met until you know God intimately. Now, let's go back to this chapter again and um, go back to uh, Exodus chapter 33, where we started. And uh, look, if you will, in verses 1 and 2 of this chapter. What had happened is this, that Moses had gone up on on Mount Sinai, and there on Mount Sinai he had gotten the Ten Commandments. And when he came down uh, from Mount Sinai, he found that Aaron had led the people into idolatrous worship. Uh, Aaron had made a golden calf. The people had gotten drunk. They were having an orgy. They had taken off their clothes. They were dancing naked around a golden calf. They were having a drunken brawl. And, and uh, God is angry. And, uh, and Moses begins to intercede. Chapter 33, verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence, thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, unto the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Unto thy seed will I give it. Now watch this in verse 2. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Havite. And the Jebusite, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. Now watch this. For I will not go up in the midst of thee. For thou art a stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. Now what is God saying? God said, all right, I promise to give you a land. I promise the land of Canaan. Go ahead. Go into the land. I'm going to send a mighty angel with you. He's going to drive out these Canaanites. But he said, I'm not going with you. <laughs> if I went with you, I'd probably turn around and destroy you. The way you've been living. So just go on. You can have the land, but you won't have me. Now notice in verse 15, Moses' response to this. And uh, And in chapter 33 and verse 15, Moses said, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. God had said, You can go. I'll give you an angel escort. I will give you provision. You're going into the land. I will give you protection. I'll send an angel with you. But you'll not have my presence. But you will have provision. And you will have protection. But you won't have my presence. Moses said, look. 
I don't want the provision, and I don't want the protection without the presence. Moses said, God, if you're not going, I am not going. This is the end of side one. Please turn the cassette over in order to hear the conclusion of the message. Don't send us. Go with us. Now, Moses was enough, wise enough to know that, that uh, it would be hollow and it would be empty without him. Did you know that there are many people who would settle for God's protection and God's provision? Many people. They don't really care that much about God's presence. I'll give you an example. The average Baptist loves the doctrine of eternal security. And it's a good doctrine. It's a Bible doctrine. not a Baptist doctrine. If we have any Baptist doctrine, we need to get rid of it. And Methodists need to get rid of Methodist doctrine. Presbyterians need to get rid of Presbyterian doctrine. We all need to believe just simply the Bible. I believe eternal security is a, is a, is a Bible doctrine. <laughs> but a lot of folks say, "Woo! I'm heaven-born, I'm heaven-bound, I'm going, nothing can take me away from God. I, I've got protection and I've got provision. Protection, the devil can't give me provision, I'm going to heaven. But how many of those same people who believe in eternal security want to know God intimately? Uh, they just simply say, oh, yes, well, that's fine, God. You're going to carry me on to my heavenly Canaan. You're going to send an angel escort. You're going to get me there. But do they really long to know God, to have that intimate uh, relationship with God? There are many people who are enjoying eternal security who are not walking and in, in, in the Spirit and enjoying victory. And that tells me something else. You may right now be having protection... And you may right now be having provision, but that doesn't mean you're right with God. Think about it. You say, well, I must be right with God. <laughs> Look how he's blessing me. I must be right with God. The devil hadn't been able to get to me. Well, these folks had an angel to escort them. Uh, uh, and, and God said, I'm going to give you the land. But my presence is not going with you. Does that bother you? That you might have eternal security, that you might have provision and you might have protection and still be missing the best? You see, you only have true sufficiency when you know God intimately. Don't ever mistake the provision and the protection for the presence. You see, even an unbeliever can have provision. God makes it to rain upon the just and the unjust. The people who don't believe in Jesus today that live in the city of Memphis, they're breathing God's air. They have food. God makes it to rain upon the just and the unjust. Do you know what it would be to have provision and protection without having the presence? It'd be like Joyce and I being married. And we don't get a divorce. We just have separate bedrooms. And I say, all right. Okay, I made a promise. I stood at the marriage altar. Okay, we're, we're married. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. That's your side of the house. This is my side of the house. Now, you know, some people say, well, that's all I want from God. All I want from God is provision. All I want for, from God is protection. But Moses wouldn't take that deal. Moses said, look, God. If you don't go, 
I'm not going to settle for any angel. I'm not going to settle for any, any blessing. I don't want the blessing without the blesser. I don't want the land without the Lord. God, you are my serenity. You are my security. And God, you are my sufficiency. I want you. I think that's what the psalmist was saying in Psalm 73, verses 25 and 26. He says, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Moses is saying, Lord, I want you. You know that people have other things, but they don't have God. They live in sort of a prison house of prosperity. They're captive to their riches. Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, talks about a little church that everybody else said was poor, but God said was rich. And Revelation chapter 3 talks about a church that everybody else said was rich, and God said it was poor. Listen to Revelation 2, verses 8 and 9. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. It was a little church could hardly pay the light bill. But he says, parenthetically in this passage, But thou art rich. I know your poverty, but you're rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but of the synagogue of Satan. Our Lord said this little church, look, everybody else knows you're being browbeaten and you're poor, but you're really rich. And then he says to another church over there in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, Because thou sayest, I'm rich. And increase with goods and have need of nothing, and know it's not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, two churches. Here's a little church over here on the back side of town. <laughs> they, they, they can't, they can hardly pay the mortgage. They can hardly pay the utilities. Everybody's talking down, beating up on them. Jesus said, you're rich. Over here on the other side of town is a church and they got all sorts of big chariots parked out front, and all the rich people are coming and going, and they say, look, we're rich and increased with goods. We don't need anything. The Lord says, you don't know that you're poor and wretched and miserable and blind and naked. Now, look, what was the difference? What are true riches? Not provision, not protection, but the presence of God. The presence of God. You... If you don't have that, you don't have sufficiency. Your heart was made for God. Augustine said, uh, Thou hast made us for thyself, O God, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. And I've shared with you what Augustine said on another occasion. We call it Augustine's proposition. He's the one we call, we call sometimes Saint Augustine. Or Augustine, if you want to act a little more savage. And here's, here's, here's what Augustine said. And I want you to listen to it. And I'm quoting this. And listen to it very carefully. Suppose that God proposes, suppose that God proposes you a deal and said, I will give you anything you want. You can possess the whole world. Nothing will be impossible for you. You will have infinite power. Nothing will be a sin, nothing forbidden. You will never die, never have pain, never have anything you do not want, and always have everything you do want. 
except for just one thing. You will never see my face. Then Augustine asked this, would you take that deal? <laughs> if not, you have the pure love of God. For look what you just did. You gave up the world and more, all possible worlds, all imagined worlds, all desired worlds, just for God. And then Augustine went on to ask, Did a chill arise in your heart when you heard the words, You will never see my face? That chill is the most precious thing in you. It is the pure love of God. Isn't that that's something? You see, Moses said, Take Canaan. Take your angel. Take it all. I don't want it without you. God, I want you. I want you. You know, Dr. Havner said this, uh, Dr. Vance Havner, Baptist preacher, Bible teacher, evangelist who's gone to heaven. He says, I'm often amused and amazed at the way we equate Christianity with success, popularity, and prosperity. We may not admit it, but we use the same old gauge the world uses, except we employ religious language. It would appear that gain is godliness with us in spite of God, Paul's formula that godliness plus, plus contentment equals prosperity. You know, sometimes we say, well, money, <laughs> money will not satisfy. Well, that's not necessarily so. It all depends upon what we're trying to satisfy. Often the problem is not that money doesn't satisfy, but to the carnal person the tragedy is that it often does. I mean, he takes the lesser deal. I'll take the provision, I'll take the protection, and, and I don't have to have you, God. That's what some folks want. Some people would say, hey, Moses, that is not a bad deal. But Moses said, no. I want you, O oh God. The Bible says that God spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Moses wanted that personal relationship to God. H.H. H. Farmer wrote this, and listen to it, to Jesus. The terrible thing about having wrong values in life and pursuing wrong things is not that you are doomed to bitter disappointment, but that you are not. Not that you do not achieve what you want, but that you do. What he's saying is... The worst thing that could happen to you is not that you would go after money and money wouldn't satisfy you. The worst thing that could happen to you is that you would go after money and money would satisfy you. That you would take the deal that God offered Moses. I'll send you on into Canaan. You can have the land, milk and honey, corn and oil and wine and pomegranates and grapes and flocks and herds, hills and valleys, uh, iron and brass, rivers. You can have it all, but I'm not going with you. Moses said, no deal. <laughs> no deal. God, if you don't go, I am not going. I want you, Lord. I want you. You see, what, what made Moses different? Everybody else saw the works of God. Moses prayed and said, God, show me your ways. That little pretty thing sitting over there, my wife. I know more than her works. I know her ways. I know her intimately. 
And I want to know God intimately. And I hope you do. Well, now, as we wrap this up, how do you know God intimately? I mean, how do you, how do, you do this? Uh, how do you get to know the ways of God? Well, not by human reasoning. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55 and, and look with me for a moment. If you think that perhaps you can just open the Bible and pry out things about God and you think that knowing the ways of God comes perhaps by observation, look in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, so my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are high, higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, what is God saying? God is saying that my ways are beyond human discernment. You see, life is, is not a puzzle to be solved. It, it's, it's really a mystery to be lived it's easy to see the works of God. As a matter of fact, that tornado over there in, um, in Oklahoma, you know what the insurance people will call that? An act of God. That's what the insurance term for that is. An act of God. <laughs> what kind of a God is that? I mean, is that the kind of God you say, Dear God, I, I, I just love you and I praise you. I mean, if all you see are these things, you're going to be confused. Some people say, oh, the tornado didn't hit our house. Praise God! Well, what does that say to the people where the tornado hit their house? Oh, God was good to us. Well, then was God bad to those other people? Think about it. You see, God's ways are so mysterious. If, I mean, God's, God's works are so mysterious. And God's ways are so much higher than your ways. Do you know how to learn the ways of God? Go back to our, our scripture again, Exodus chapter 33, and we're almost finished. Let me, let me show you uh, how you know the ways of God. How did Moses get to know the ways of God? Look in Exodus 33 and verse 11. And the Lord spake unto Moses... Face to face, as a man speaketh unto his friend. Now, go down and look, if you will, in verse 14. And he said, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. Look, if you will, in verse 19. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Now, what is God saying? God is saying, look, you want to know me? You're not going to know me by merely studying about me. You are going to know me by communion with me face to face. You see, you may know my works, but Joyce knows my ways. You may know Joyce's works, but I know her ways. I know Joyce intimately. Now, many people are not living in blessing. And the reason they're not living in blessing is because they're not being obedient. And there can be no blessing without obedience. Well, many people are not being obedient because there's no trust. 
Because you can't obey somebody you don't trust. And incidentally, that's the reason why some of you are not tithing. You know why you don't tithe? <laughs> you just don't trust God. I mean, you really don't believe Malachi 3.10. If you believe it, I'll never, I'll never be convinced for one minute that you believe Malachi 3.10 and fail to tithe. It says, bring you all the time to the storehouse and prove me. Now here with saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, let there not be room enough to receive it. If you believe that, you tithe. You just don't believe it. <laughs> you, you believe it intellectually, but you don't believe it. You see, listen, there, there can be no blessing without obedience. There can be no obedience without trust. And, and there's no trust because there's no love. You see, you trust somebody when you love them. Now, if a stranger comes up to me and says, if I ask you to do something, will you do it? <laughs> what's, what's the next thing I'll say? Well, what is it, right? What is it? Now, suppose Joyce says to me, if I ask you to do something, will you do it? I'll say, what is it? <laughs> Same question. But, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. And she says, never mind what it is. Just if I ask you to do it, will you do it? And she has that look on her face. Will you do it? You know what I'll say? Okay. Okay. I would. That little girl sitting over there would never, never, no, never, never, never ask me to do anything that would harm or hurt me. I know she loves me that much. And I love her that much. So, if she would ask me, if I would ask you to do something, would you do it? And she says, just trust me. Just trust me. I'd say, okay. I'd say, okay. You see, listen. There is no, there is no blessing because there's no obedience. There is no obedience because there's no trust. There is no trust because there's no love. And there's no love because there's no intimacy. If all you see are the, the works of God, then you don't have that intimacy. But when you know the ways of God, to know Him is to love Him, to love Him is to trust Him, to trust Him is to obey Him, and to obey Him is to be blessed. Now, you cannot love a person until you know their ways. And you cannot know their ways until you spend time with that person. Moses spoke to God face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We know the ways of God not by observation, but by intimate relationship. And by the way, this is what counseling is all about. Dr. Putnam sitting over here, he's, our, uh, he's heading up our counseling program, our biblical counseling. And I'm so glad that God brought him here. But what is counseling all about? Who is, what does a counselor do? Is a counselor somebody that you go to and he solves your problems? No. No. What is the purpose of all true counseling? All The purpose of all true counseling is to bring people into the presence of God. You see, Israel knew the works of God, but they didn't know the ways of God. 
God was bringing these people into problems. I mean, God was engineering their problems. God brought them to a place where there was no water. God brought them there. That was God's doing. He brought them to Marah. And he did that, the Bible says, to prove them. He wanted them to find out that not only was he necessary, he was enough. Do you know what a good counselor does? He just brings people to God. That doesn't mean he won't help them with their problems. But in helping them with their problems, that's all he does. And he doesn't bring them to God. Uh, then the problem was, uh, was of no use. It was of no good. Because all of the, the contingencies and necessities of life are to bring us to God. When you know God intimately. There is serenity. God gives you rest. There is stability. When problems come, you don't want to run home to mama because you're only infatuated. And there is sufficiency. And you learn, no matter how bad the problem, that not only is God necessary, God is enough. How do you know God? Not by observation. <laughs> His ways are above our ways. You know God by face-to-face -face relationship. And frankly, folks, that's what a quiet time is all about. You can't know somebody if you don't spend time with them. Does this make sense? I hope so. The first step is to bow before Him and surrender and receive Jesus Christ into your heart and into your life as your Lord and Savior. He comes into you first and then begins to manifest himself to you. Okay? Let's bow in prayer. Right now I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer and invite Jesus Christ into your heart. First of all, let me ask this. How many in this building would say, Pastor, I've already done that. God is very real to me. And I know that I'm saved. And I have a God-given assurance from the Word and the Spirit that if I died tonight, I'd go straight to heaven. Not because of my own innate goodness, but because of God's gift of salvation. But there is the evidence of a changed life. There is the witness of the Spirit. And I believe that I'm heaven-born and heaven-bound. If you feel that way, could you give me that testimony by lifting your hand? Just hold it up. That's wonderful. And I believe that's most of us. It's certainly not all of us. So there's some here who say, Pastor Rogers, I don't have that assurance. Well, I know you want that assurance, at least I think I do, because if you didn't, you wouldn't be in the house of God. You, you want to know Him. You want that assurance. And the wonderful thing is, because salvation is a gift, you can have it. Now, if it depended upon your works or your goodness, you could never have that assurance. But since it's a gift, and God has promised, you can have the assurance if you'll stand on His promise, not on your goodness, and not on your... not. And not stay away because of your badness. But just simply stand on His grace. Would you pray a prayer like this? Dear God, I am a sinner. My sin deserves judgment, but God, I want mercy. Jesus, you died to save me. And you promised to save me if I would trust you. I do trust you, Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you paid for my sin with your blood on the cross. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I now receive you right this moment as my Lord and Savior. 
forgive my sin, cleanse me, come into my life, take control of my life, and begin now to make me the person you want me to be. Lord, because you died for me, I will live for you. Lord, I will not be ashamed of you. I will make this public tonight. I will make it public tonight. 